first journey part three of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain first journey part three on the nineteenth early in the morning my curiosity was at a high pitch the noted temple of tentra being the only thought i had in my head accordingly we set off on asses as usual and proceeded to the ruins little could be seen of the temple till we came near to it as it is surrounded by high mounds of rubbish of the old tentra on our arriving before it i was for some time at a loss to know where i should begin my examination the numerous objects before me all equally attractive left me for a while in a state of suspense and astonishment the enormous masses of stone employed in the edifice are so well disposed that the eye discovers the most just proportion everywhere the majestic appearance of its construction the variety of its ornaments and above all the singularity of its preservation had such an effect on me that i seated myself on the ground and for a considerable time was lost in admiration it is the first egyptian temple the traveller sees on ascending the nile and it is certainly the most magnificent it has an advantage over most others from the good state of preservation it is in and i should have no scruple in saying that it is of a much later date than any other the superiority of the workmanship gives us sufficient reason to suppose it to be of the time of the first ptolemy and it is not improbable that he who laid the foundation of the alexandrian library instituted the philosophical society of the museum and studied to render himself beloved by his people might erect such an edifice to convince the egyptians of his superiority of mind over the ancient kings of egypt even in religious devotion this is the cabinet of the egyptian arts the product of study for many centuries and it was here that denon thought himself in the sanctuary of the arts and sciences the front is adorned with a beautiful cornice and a frieze covered with figures and hieroglyphics over the centre of which the winged globe is predominant and the two sides are embellished with compartments of sacrifices and offerings the columns that form the portico are twenty-four in number divided into four rows including those in the front on entering the gate the scene changes and requires more minute observation the quadrangular form of the capitals first strikes the eye at each side of the square there is a colossal head of the goddess isis with cow's ears there is not one of these heads but is much mutilated particularly those on the columns in the front of the temple facing the outside but notwithstanding this disadvantage and the flatness of their form there is a simplicity in their countenance that approaches to a smile the shafts of the columns are covered with hieroglyphics and figures which are in basso relevo as are all the figures in the front and lateral walls the front of the doorway which is in a straight line with the entrance and the sanctuary is richly adorned with figures of smaller size than the rest of the portico the ceiling contains the zodiac enclosed by two long female figures which extend from one side to the other of it the walls are divided into several square compartments each containing figures representing deities and priests in the act of offering or immolating victims on all the walls columns ceiling or architraves there is nowhere a space of two feet that is not covered with some figures of human beings 
animals plants emblems of agriculture or of religious ceremony wherever the eyes turn wherever the attention is fixed everything inspires respect and veneration heightened by the solitary situation of this temple which adds to the attraction of these splendid recesses the inner apartments are much the same as the portico all covered with figures in basso relievo to which the light enters through small holes in the walls the sanctuary itself is quite dark in the corner of it i found the door which leads to the roof by a staircase the walls of which are also covered with figures in basso relievo on the top of the temple the arabs had built a village i supposed to be the more elevated and exposed to the air but it is all in ruins as no one now lives there from the top i descended into some apartments on the east side of the temple there i saw the famous zodiac on the ceiling the circular form of this zodiac led me to suppose in some measure that this temple was built at a later period than the rest as nothing like it is seen anywhere else in the front of the edifice there is a propylaeon not inferior to the works in the temple and though partly fallen it still shows its ancient grandeur on the left going from the portico there is a small temple surrounded by columns in the inside is a figure of isis sitting with orus in her lap and other female figures each with a child in her arms are observable the capitals of the columns are adorned with the figure of typhon the gallery or porticos that surrounds the temple is filled up with rubbish to a great height and walls of unburnt bricks have been raised from one column to another farther on in a right line with the propylaeon are the remains of a hypertral temple which form a square of twelve columns connected with each other by a wall except at the doorway which fronts the propylaeon the eastern wall of the great temple is richly adorned with figures in intaglio relevato they are perfectly finished the female figures are about four feet high disposed in different compartments behind the temple is a small egyptian building quite detached from the large edifice and from its construction i would venture to say that it was the habitation of the priests at some distance from the great temple are the foundations of another not so large as the first the propylaeon is still standing in good preservation my principal object did not permit me to stay here any longer but i do not know that i ever quitted a place with so much regret and wish to remain when we again reached the nile the people of dendera were assembled in great numbers waiting our return from the ruins on approaching them they surrounded my interpreter and caught hold of him some by the arms others by the garments and insisted that he should remain there as he belonged to that village the fact was at the time the french were there a boy from that place went along with them and as our interpreter told them that he had been in the french army they concluded he must be the same person nor could we persuade them to the contrary i was not willing to part with him as i was but little acquainted with the arabic language but no reasoning with them would avail and they were too numerous for him to escape from them at last i told them to call for the mother of the boy in question to this they answered that she lived at six miles distance and they would not take the trouble to go and fetch her presently however they consented but they would not release their supposed old friend from their hands telling him he had been long enough among christian dogs 
some brought him milk and bread others dates others sugar canes and so forth at length the desired old woman arrived accompanied with another son and on her coming up to my interpreter he addressed her in such a manner that she soon acknowledged he did not belong to her we set off the same morning and arrived in an hour at kenna this place is well known for its trade with india through kosir and as it is a halting-place for the hajis is always well supplied with provisions the aga has under his command five hundred soldiers to escort the caravan through the desert to kosir the bashaw sends supplies of wheat to his troops in arabia beside the usual trade in sugar and silk and they bring coffee from mocha with cottons and cashmere shawls of india manufacture the hajis here take a stock of provisions sufficient to last them as far as mecca and in the proper season the town is crowded with them from all parts the camels for the caravans are furnished by the abadi who make it a profitable business with the hajis the best vessels for cooling water are met with in this town the slaves that come from the upper country pay a duty of four dollars for a boy two for a woman and one for a man we continued our voyage and arrived at gamala on the twenty first at night on the twenty second we saw for the first time the ruins of great thebes and landed at luxor here i beg the reader to observe that but very imperfect idea can be formed of the extensive ruins of thebes even from the accounts of the most skilful and accurate travellers it is absolutely impossible to imagine the scene displayed without seeing it the most sublime ideas that can be formed from the most magnificent specimens of our present architecture would give a very incorrect picture of these ruins for such is the difference not only in magnitude but in form proportion and construction that even the pencil can convey but a faint idea of the whole it appears to me like entering a city of giants who after a long conflict were all destroyed leaving the ruins of their various temples as the only proofs of their former existence the temple of luxor presents to the traveller at once one of the most splendid groups of egyptian grandeur the extensive propylaeon with the two obelisks and colossal statues in the front the thick groups of enormous columns the variety of apartments and the sanctuary it contains the beautiful ornaments which adorn every part of the walls and columns described by mr hamilton cause in the astonished traveller an oblivion of all that he has seen before if his attention be attracted to the north side of thebes by the towering remains that project a great height above the wood of palm-trees he will gradually enter that forest-like assemblage of ruins of temples columns obelisks colossi sphinxes portals and an endless number of other astonishing objects that will convince him at once of the impossibility of a description on the west side of the nile still the traveller finds himself among wonders the temples of gournou memonium and medinet abu attest the extent of the great city on this side 
the unrivalled colossal figures in the plains of thebes the number of tombs excavated in the rocks those in the great valley of the kings with their paintings sculptures mummies sarcophagi figures and so forth are all objects worthy of the admiration of the traveller who will not fail to wonder how a nation which was once so great as to erect these stupendous edifices could so far fall into oblivion that even their language and writing are totally unknown to us after having taken a cursory view of luxor and karnak to which my curiosity led me on my landing i crossed the nile to the west and proceeding straight to the memnonium i had to pass before the two colossal figures in the plain i need not say that i was struck with wonder they are mutilated indeed but their enormous size strikes the mind with admiration the next object that met my view was the memnonium it stands elevated above the plain which is annually inundated by the nile the water reaches quite to the propylaeon and though this is considerably lower than the temple i beg leave to observe that it may be considered as one of the proofs that the bed of the nile has risen considerably higher since the memnonian was erected for it is not to be supposed that the egyptians built the propylaeon which is the entrance to the temple so low as not to be able to enter it when the water was at its height there are other proofs of this opinion which i shall have an opportunity of introducing in this volume the groups of columns of that temple and the views of the numerous tombs excavated in the high rock behind it present a strange appearance to the eye on my approaching these ruins i was surprised at the sight of the great colossus of memnon or sesostris or ozymandias or femetra or perhaps some other king of egypt for such are the various opinions of its origin and so many names have been given to it that at last it has no name at all i can but say that it must have been one of the most venerated statues of the egyptians for it would have required more labour to convey such a mass of granite from aswan to thebes than to transport the obelisk commonly known under the appellation of pompey's pillar to alexandria as i entered these ruins my first thought was to examine the colossal bust i had to take away i found it near the remains of its body and chair with its face upwards and apparently smiling on me at the thought of being taken to england i must say that my expectations were exceeded by its beauty but not by its size i observed that it must have been absolutely the same statue as is mentioned by norden lying in his time with its face downwards which must have been the cause of its preservation i will not venture to assert who separated the bust from the rest of the body by an explosion or by whom the bust has been turned faced upwards the place where it lay was nearly in a line with the side of the main gateway into the temple and as there is another colossal head near it there may have been one on each side of the doorway as they are to be seen at luxor and karnak all the implements brought from cairo to the memnonian consisted of fourteen poles eight of which were employed in making a sort of car to lay the bust on four ropes of palm leaves and four rollers without tackle of any sort i selected a place in the porticos and as our boat was too far off to go to sleep in it every night i had all of our things brought on shore and made a dwelling-house of the memnonian 
a small hut was formed of stones and we were handsomely lodged mrs belzoni had by this time accustomed herself to travel and was equally indifferent with myself about accommodations i examined the road by which i was to take the bust to the nile as it appeared that the season of the inundation was advancing very fast all the lands which extend from the memnonium to the water-side would have been covered in one month's time and the way at the foot of the mountain was very uneven and in some parts ran over ground to which the water reached so that unless the bust was drawn over these places before the inundation commenced it would become impossible to effect it after till the next summer a delay which might have occasioned even still more difficulties than i had to encounter at that time for i have reason to assert that an intrigue was going on to prevent the removal of the head on the twenty fourth of july i went to the kachif of ermentz to obtain an order to the kamaikan of gournou and agalta to procure for me eighty arabs to assist in the removal of the young memnon he received me with that invariable politeness which is peculiar to the turks even when they do not mean in the slightest degree to comply with your wishes and which often deceives a traveller who only en passant takes coffee smokes his pipe and goes away it is not so these people can be known this requires an opportunity of dealing with them and in matters in which their interest is concerned there are exceptions among them as there are among the christians of europe and i often found myself deceived where i least expected it the smooth-faced protestations of friendship and partiality for a person whom they never saw before is so common among them that at last it becomes a matter of course and no reliance is placed on it except by those who are unacquainted with the customs of the country i presented the firman from the defurder at siut he received it reverently and promised to do everything in his power to get the arabs to work but observed that at the present season they were all occupied and it would be better to wait till after the inundation of the nile i remarked that i had seen a great many arabs about the villages who appeared perfectly idle and who would be glad to gain something by being employed you are mistaken he replied for they would sooner starve than undertake a task so arduous as yours since to remove that stone they must be helped by mahomet or they will never stir at the thickness of a thumb now at the rise of the nile the arabs of these banks are quite unoccupied and that is the very time for your purpose the next objection was the ramadan which was just beginning and the third that he could not spare any arabs as they must work in the fields for the bashaw whose work could not be interrupted i saw plainly that i should have to encounter many difficulties but i was determined to persist and i told him i should collect men myself accompanied by my janizary and that all the arabs i might find idle and willing to come i should engage according to the firman i had received to-morrow he then replied i will send my brother to see if any men can be got i told him i relied on his word and gave him to understand that if he behaved in a manner conformably to the orders of the bashaw he would receive a present accordingly and leaving my janizary there to conduct the men who might be procured for me to the memnonium the next morning i withdrew the morning arrived but no men appeared 
i waited patiently till nine o'clock and then mounted a camel and went again to ermit's i gave my interpreter some powder and about two pounds of raw coffee to be produced when i should ask for them i found the kachif occupied in giving directions to build a tomb for a mohammedan saint but it was of no use to complain i told him therefore that i came to drink coffee with him and smoke a pipe he was pleased and we sat together on the divan i pretended to be quite unconcerned about the removal of the colossus and at a proper time i presented the powder and the coffee to him with which he was much gratified i then repeated to him that if he would obtain men for me it would be much to his advantage and if not he would lose the chance of reward and i should act accordingly he promised again that on the next morning i should have the assistance i wanted and gave me an order for the purpose i returned to gournou on the same evening and sent the tiskiri or order to the kamakan of the place whose business it was to attend to it this man was an old acquaintance of a certain collector of antiquities in alexandria and as he had immediate command over the fellas gave me much trouble he had collected antiquities for this person for many years at gournou was married and settled there so that i was by no means welcome to him agreeably to the order he also promised like his master to furnish me with men but again on the twenty-sixth not one appeared i then sent for him and with an air of indifference he told me that men could not be procured that day but he would do what he could on the morrow or next day at the same time the fellas who were idle would have been glad to be employed as they came by twenty at a time to see if permission were granted for them to work the kachif too instead of sending the assistance he had promised from his part of the country sent only a soldier to inquire whether i still wanted it and i replied that if he did not supply me with some men the next morning i would write to cairo i knew that writing to cairo would have been to no purpose for it would take a month before i could receive an answer and then it would be too late in consequence of the rising of the nile i tried in vain to persuade those arabs whom i saw unemployed to work but though they were desirous of earning money they dared not do so without permission either from the kachef or the kamakan to the kachef i now applied again and at last on the twenty seventh he sent me a few men but by no means sufficient for my purpose yet when others saw them at work by permission they were easily persuaded to join the party i arranged my men in a row and agreed to give them thirty paras a day which is equal to fourpence halfpenny english money with which they were much pleased as it was more by one half than they were accustomed to receive for their daily labour in the fields the carpenter had made the car and the first operation was to endeavour to place the bust on it the fellows of gournou who were familiar with kafani as they named the colossus were persuaded that it could never be moved from the spot where it lay and when they saw it moved they all set up a shout though it was the effect of their own efforts it was the devil they said that did it and as they saw me taking notes they concluded that it was done by means of a charm the mode i adopted to place it on the car was very simple for work of no other description could be executed by these people as their utmost sagacity reaches only to pulling a rope or sitting on the extremity of a lever as a counterpoise 
by means of four levers i raised the bust so as to leave a vacancy under it to introduce the car and after it was slowly lodged on this i had the car raised in the front with the bust on it so as to get one of the rollers underneath i then had the same operation performed at the back and the colossus was ready to be pulled up i caused it to be well secured on the car and the ropes so placed that the power might be divided i stationed men with levers at each side of the car to assist occasionally if the colossus should be inclined to turn to either side in this manner i kept it safe from falling lastly i placed men in the front distributing them equally at the four ropes while others were ready to change the rollers alternately thus i succeeded in getting it removed the distance of several yards from its original place according to my instructions i sent an arab to cairo with the intelligence that the bust had begun its journey towards england from the great heat of the day i was unwell at night having never felt the sun so powerful before in my life being in the hottest season the air was inflamed and even at night the wind itself was extremely hot the place i had chosen in the memnonium was worse than any as the whole mass of stones was so heated that the hands could not be kept on it in the course of time these places became familiar to me as well as the climate for i observed three years after that i was often on the same spot and at the same season without feeling the least inconvenience or being sensible of the intense heat i had felt on my first arrival when the arabs found that they received money for the removal of a stone they entertained the opinion that it was filled with gold in the inside and that a thing of such value should not be permitted to be taken away on the twenty eighth we recommenced the work the arabs came pretty early as they preferred to work in the morning and rest in the middle of the day from twelve to two this day we removed the bust out of the ruins of the memnonium to make room for it to pass we had to break the bases of two columns it was advanced about fifty yards out of the temple in the evening i was very poorly i went to rest but my stomach refused any aliment i began to be persuaded that there is a great difference between travelling in a boat with all that is wanted in it and at leisure and the undertaking of an operation which required great exertions in directing a body of men who in point of skill are no better than beasts and to be exposed to the burning sun of that country from morning till night on the next day the twenty ninth i found it impossible to stand on my legs and postpone the work to the day following i had all our household furniture beds kitchen pottery and provisions put on a camel and returned to the boat in hopes that the air might be cool at night but i remained very ill the whole day my stomach refusing to take almost anything on the thirtieth we continued the work and the colossus advanced a hundred and fifty yards towards the nile i was a little better in the morning but worse again in the evening on the thirty-first i was again a little better but could not proceed as the road became so sandy that the colossus sunk into the ground i was therefore under the necessity of taking a long turn of above three hundred yards to a new road in the evening of this day i was much better on the first of august we still improved in our success as we this day proceeded above three hundred yards 
i was obliged to keep several men employed in making the road before us as we went on with the head the irish lad that was with me i sent to cairo as he could not resist the climate but what is singular mrs belzoni enjoyed tolerable health all the time she was constantly among the women in the tombs for all the fellahs of gournou make dwelling-houses where the egyptians had burial-places as i shall have occasion to mention hereafter on the second the head advanced farther and i was in great hopes of passing a part of the land to which the inundation would extend previous to the water reaching that spot on the third we went on extremely well and advanced nearly four hundred yards we had a bad road on the fourth but still we proceeded a good way on the fifth we entered the land i was so anxious to pass over for fear the water should reach it and arrest our course and i was happy to think that the next day would bring us out of danger accordingly i went to the place early in the morning and to my great surprise found no one there except the guards and the carpenter who informed me that the kamaikan had given orders to the fellahs not to work for the christian dogs any longer i sent for him to know the reason of this new proceeding but he was gone to luxor it is to be observed that the spot where the head lay at this time was expected to be under water in a few days and that by delay the risk would be incurred of having it sunk in the earth so that it could not have been taken out till the following year and then not without a great deal of additional trouble exclusive of the tricks that might be played in the interval under these circumstances it may be imagined i was uneasy about the subject and anxious for dispatch i afterwards learned that the rogue of a kamaikan had suggested to the cacheff to take advantage of the situation when the head was to pass that spot to put an end to our proceeding i took the janizary with me and crossed the water to luxor i there found the kamaikan who could give me no reason for his proceeding but saucy answers and the more i attempted to bring him into good humour by smooth words and promises the more insolent he became my patience was great and i was determined that day to carry it to its utmost length but there is a certain point which if exceeded these people do not understand and in a country where respect is paid only to the strongest advantage will always be taken of the weak consequently if a man carry his policy beyond that point they mistake him for a coward he is despised and will have the more difficulties to encounter this was the case on the present occasion my patience was mistaken and this man after having said all that he could against my nation and those who protected me was so much encouraged by my forbearance that he attempted to put his hands on me which i resisted he then became more violent and drew his sword though he had a brace of pistols in his belt there was no time to be lost and as i had received a good lesson at cairo from another albanian like himself i gave him no leisure to execute his purpose i instantly seized and disarmed him placed my hands on his stomach and made him sensible of my superiority at least in point of strength by keeping him firm in a corner of the room the pistols and sword which i had thrown on the ground were taken up by my janizary and after giving the fellow a good shaking i took possession of them and told him that i should send them to cairo to show the bashaw in what manner his orders were respected he followed me towards the boat and was no sooner out of the crowd that had assembled than he began to be quite humble and talk of matters as if nothing had happened 
he then told me that the order he had given to the fellows not to work he had received from the cacheff himself and it could not be expected that being only a kamaikan he could disobey his superior i did not stop one instant but ordered the boat to take me to ermentes immediately the reader perhaps may think my narrative too minute but i beg to observe that it is in this way only the true character of these people can be known i remarked that in almost everything he said to me nothing escaped him against my religion which is generally the first thing with a mohammedan but i found afterwards that the friend in lower egypt with whom he had trafficked in antiques from whom he received money and presents and who influenced him on this occasion was a christian and if he could have found the means to interrupt my proceedings respecting the bust he would greatly have obliged this friend i hastened to orments and arrived there before sunset as it was the time of ramadan the cacheff had many of his principal officers and several hajis and santons at dinner with him it being the custom of these turkish travellers particularly at this season to live at great men's tables there were about thirty in all in the place the dinner was prepared in a field before the house as no room within it would contain so many persons an old carpet about twenty feet long and three feet wide was spread on the ground and where we should put plates cakes were placed of fine white bread made expressly for the occasion on my arrival they were just going to begin the hour of dining being always a little after sunset during the festival of ramadan as they are then not allowed to eat till the sun has wholly disappeared so that i could introduce no business at that time there is certainly something in the ceremonial manners of the turks that is often peculiarly provoking at the very moment that they order your throat to be cut they will not fail to salute you apparently with the utmost cordiality the cacheff received me very politely and invited me to dine with him i dared not refuse as it would have been the greatest affront i could have offered him accordingly we sat all round the carpet on the ground the turkish cookery does not always suit a european palate but there are a few dishes that are equally agreeable with our own particularly mutton roasted on a wooden pole at a wood fire they have a particular way of cooking it putting it on the fire immediately after it is killed and before it has lost its natural warmth and in this way it has a particular flavour quite agreeable to the taste the soldiers and hajis tucked up their large sleeves and with naked arms dipped the fingers of their right hand into the various dishes they never employ the left hand in eating nor do they eat much out of one dish but taste of all that are within their reach they always finish their dinner with pilau and seldom drink while eating they wash immediately after and pipes and coffee being served all round they begin to converse on their usual topics horses arms saddles or dress at a proper time i expressed to the cacheff the necessity of my having an order for the fellows to proceed with my operations the next morning he answered with indifference that they must work in the fields for the bashaw and that he could not spare one but that if i would wait till the next season i might have as many as i liked i replied to this that as i could obtain no men from him i would bring over some from luxor and he would thus lose the merit of what he had done and as i had to return to luxor that night i must take my leave 
he observed i had no reason to be afraid as i was armed with such a pair of fine english pistols i answered they were very necessary in that country but they were at his service notwithstanding if he would be pleased to accept of them though i had written to cairo for a better pair for him which would soon arrive at these words he put his hands on my knees and said we shall be friends he ordered the firman to be written out immediately and set his seal to it i left him returned to the boat and arrived at gournon before daylight on passing before luxor we went in danger of being drowned the pier that protects these ruins from the force of the current on the swelling of the nile is always under water and our boatmen not being acquainted with its situation ran the boat against it the current was very strong no power could resist it and the boat heeled so much that the water kept running over the gunwale as the rapidity in this spot is so great that the most expert swimmer being once in the stream has no chance of reaching the shore we appeared to have inevitable death before us but providence ordered it otherwise at that moment a fresh breeze arose the advantage of which was seized by the pilot who hoisted the sail got the boat under proper management crossed the current and escaped the danger early on the morning of the seventh i sent for the sheik of the fellahs and gave him the cacheff's order the men were ready in an hour after and we continued the operation the bust advanced this day considerably more than usual owing to the men having rested on the preceding day and on the eighth i had the pleasure of seeing it out of danger of being overtaken by the water on the ninth i was seized with such a giddiness in my head that i could not stand the blood ran so copiously from my nose and mouth that i was unable to continue the operation i therefore postponed it to the next day on the tenth and eleventh we approached towards the river and on the twelfth thank god the young memnon arrived on the bank of the nile besides their promised payment i gave the arabs a bakshis or present of one piaster each equal to sixpence english with which they were exceedingly pleased and they well deserve their reward after an exertion to which no labour can be compared the hard task they had to track such a weight the heavy poles they were obliged to carry to use as levers and the continual replacing the rollers with the extreme heat and dust were more than any european could have withstood but what is still more remarkable during all the days of this exertion it being ramadan they never ate or drank till after sunset i am at a loss to conceive how they existed in the middle of the day at a work to which they were totally unaccustomed end of first journey part three